from the Center for European Reform. This is the CER podcast. It is a critical moment. If we do not act with urgency, we would then severely undermine the liberal order. Brexit means Brexit, and we're going to make a success of it. The wind is back in Europe's sights. We have now a window of opportunity, but it will not stay open forever. Hello and welcome to the Centre for European Reform podcast. Um, as you can hear, I'm not Beth Oppenheim, our um, usual presenter. Uh, Beth has now moved on to work for Gisha, which is a human rights organisation in Israel. So congratulations to Beth if she's listening. Um, my name's John Springford. I'm Deputy Director here at CER. And we're going to do things a little bit differently from now on. Um, we're going to have a rotating cast of, uh, uh, of different researchers interviewing each other on various papers and topics of interest. Um, and today we have Christian Odendahl, our chief economist, who is just in the process of finishing a new paper on European sovereignty, um, which you know is the latest buzzword really alongside geopolitical commission um, that a lot of uh, people in Brussels are talking about. Um, as background, um, fractures with the US under Trump plus the rise of China has meant that the EU has had to engage with power politics probably in a way that it doesn't really enjoy um, rather than its more cosy set of multilateral rules and institutions that were underpinned by US supremacy uh, before 2016. Um, and the debate on European sovereignty has, has really mostly been about whether the EU can use market size uh, to drive up environmental and social goals or whether there's a greater role for the EU in security and defence, given the fact that, uh, as I say, there are f fractures between the EU and the US at the moment. But Christian, uh, you say it's uh, all about the euro. Um, as a macroeconomist, are you just jumping onto the bandwagon or does economic stability matter politically? And if so, why? Yeah, so the debate on, on European economic sovereignty, I think, is an interesting one. I wrote a piece a, a while back on the on the euro as an international reserve currency because that is clearly one of the one of the major advantages of the United States when it comes to economic power on the world stage. Uh, but I also thought about um, European stabilization policies, so monetary, fiscal, and so forth, and to what extent that enhances or or, or not um, European sovereignty. And I guess the the basic insight is. So when your economy is doing badly, um, you're also politically more vulnerable. Um, and on the other hand, if your economy is booming, then the threat of retaliation in economic terms is sort of less daunting. Um, and I think is the an example of that from within Europe is the, is the, is the Franco-German relationship. So if we think back to the euro crisis, when Germany was not doing very well, um, oh, sorry, when Germany was doing well and France was not doing well. Um, at the time, um, Germany was not taking France's economic advice uh, totally seriously. Um, whereas now, France is doing relatively well. Uh, Germany is economically not doing that well. And so France has a lot more authority on the European stage. Um, or recently there was a, um, a threat by China against Czech companies because the Czech lawmaker wanted to visit Taiwan. So uh, that, you know... It, it, there's there's economic pressure put on on, on countries um, um, as as a means to 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 get political uh, advantages. So I think the way 
in which we are able to stabilize our economy and that we have the means to do that, um, I think is important for our economic sovereignty. Before we move on to uh, some of the issues about stabilization, I was just wondering if you could define your terms a little bit. So, um, I mean, sovereignty to me is one of these nebulous concepts, particularly for us Brits who have been caught up in the debate about sovereignty uh, and Brexit. Um, I mean, how would you, how would you define sovereignty? Do you think it's uh, the greater greater power to act, or is it the ability to be able to uh, uh, have power over your your local neighbourhood, or, or how would you, how would you define it? Do you think? So, as, as an economist, I always think in terms of you know empirical outcomes. So, sovereignty to me is the ability to shape your world, whatever affects you. Um, and or what affects your economic utility um, or your utility more broadly defined um, in a way that you know is is in, in your preferred direction so that can, includes the neighborhood that includes the that includes the world how you can shape trade relationships uh, how you can uh, affect other countries to tie themselves closer to your economic model and so forth so it's it, it has to do with power but it also is sort of the absence of stuff you know the absence of um, blackmail or pressure put on you by others um, that 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 want you to go into a direction that you don't want so i think this is this is uh, this is about well control i guess but i don't want to use that word too much <laughs> for, for fairly understandable reasons given the brexit debate um okay so macroeconomic stabilization the first thing that you think about is monetary policy um i mean could you tell us how the european central bank is important to european sovereignty then so i think the ecb can enhance european uh, european sovereignty uh, if it shows that it's able and willing to stabilize the european economy um, and i think the problem is that in the past it has not been it has not been aggressive enough it has not been early enough in its actions and so the result is that we have very low inflation rates, very low interest rates, and don't have the ability to stabilize the economy as easily, uh, which makes us more vulnerable to a worldwide economic slowdown, but also to threats of tariffs and so forth. And so this is why I think having a very aggressive central bank um, willing to use all tools available in a very timely manner is important to enhance European sovereignty. A lot of the um, debate about monetary policy has been about whether the European Central Bank has run out of ammunition um, as a result of uh, interest rates already being zero or negative in some cases. Uh, we've got a pretty low inflation environment where the ECB is not managing to hit its inflation target. And so the debate has been about whether fiscal policy um, is going to have to take up the slack uh, if we're going to have a slowdown or, you know, when the next recession comes. Uh, so how, how would fiscal policy interact with your ideas about European sovereignty? So the fiscal policy is a, is, a, is a tricky one because usually it takes a backseat when we talk about stabilization policy. We usually think about monetary policy as the first in line because it is more timely and can be more aggressive uh, than fiscal policy. Um, but there are cases in which that is not true. And one of those is when the central bank, in this case, the ECB is struggling to revive the economy because it has cut interest rates already to its almost lower bound. Um, and, and a situation in which countries within Europe depend on each other, right? So if there's no stabilization policy, 
um, then it does matter to what extent my neighbors stabilize their economies by fiscal means. So it's not only that we need fiscal policy because the ECB is struggling, but also because we in Europe depend on each other. And so in the current situation, and a, and a fiscal policy that focuses on stabilization, stabilization of the entire European economy, I think is crucial. And sort of the European sovereignty argument does not feature in the fiscal debate in Europe at all so far. But I think that's a mistake. I think it's, it, it is really important. Just as a supplementary question to that, um, Ken, Ken Rogoff, the um, famous economist, uh, wrote a piece uh, in Project Syndicate recently um, where he argued that uh, people with a sort of new Keynesian mindset, which I hope I'm not insulting you by, by calling you that, Christian, uh, they overemphasize fiscal policy because they see it essentially as a kind of technocratic tool which can be used to stabilize, when in fact fiscal policy is intensely political. Decisions about tax rates, about what to spend on, all of these things are quite hard to tie into a framework which is essentially just about macroeconomic stabilization. And this is a really big issue in Europe, obviously, because uh, you know, the Eurozone doesn't have a, a, a sort of central fiscal function. And so it has to rely on coordination between the member states if you're going to have a kind of generalized fiscal stimulus with all, all member states acting together. And the question that springs to mind is how, how on earth are you going to arrange uh, and coordinate all of the different member states to do that? No, that's a, that's a very good point. Um, so fiscal policy in the macroeconomic stabilization context is, is very difficult to get right. And it's difficult to, to, uh, to time it perfectly to the business cycle. Um, and as you rightly say, this is a very political issue. Um, so what we have done in Europe, because we were mostly afraid of debt, uh, is that we've given ourselves rules, which turn out to be not up to the job, right? Um, so what we did instead was tightening those rules. So trying to fight a political problem with rulemaking uh, in, a, in, a situa in a situation where the macroeconomic setup was changing completely, right? So we had monetary policy in the, in the 2000s was still free to reign. And so there was no need, no immediate need at least for, for fiscal stabilization policy uh, over and above sort of that what we economists call automatic stabilizers. Uh, so spending and taxation that changes automatically with the business cycle because the economy is changing. Um, but now we are in a completely different situation because we have record low interest rates. Uh, the central banks, not just in Europe, are struggling to revive the economy. So fiscal policy um, is, is being given a, or should be given a much stronger role. And the question is exactly how to get that right. I think we, what we need to do uh, two things basically. One is to realize the importance of fiscal policy for stabilization and that means that we have to scrap the rules as we have them now which are not up to the job um, and find other institutional arrangements uh, such as strong fiscal councils like central bank-like institutions that guide the stabilization part of fiscal policy. Not what it's spent on in the tax system and so forth. This, these are political decisions. Just the overall stance of fiscal policy. That also includes coordinating fiscal policy in the Eurozone. That would be a massive departure from what we have now. And the second is, as you rightly say, coordinating European countries in a timely fashion is probably too difficult. 
Um, so on top of that, we, we do need a central fiscal capacity that is able to support monetary policy and stabilizing the economy. I think those two things would go a long way of making fiscal policy at least a stabilizing force. Recently, the European Commission started, um, started a, a call for public participation on, on, um, on fiscal stabilization policy in the fiscal rulebook. And in that communication, they also said, well, fiscal policy so far has not only not been stabilizing, it had actually been destabilizing uh, because we were cutting at the wrong time, we were spending at the wrong time. So there's really a lot to do on fiscal policy reform. But so far, we are not seeing it enough, I think, in the context of this also enhances our political sovereignty, which it does. Because if we are willing, as the United States, for example, is to spend and use all available tools to stabilize our economy, we are less susceptible to sort of blackmail or threats from outside when it comes to tariffs or our investments abroad and so forth. And, you know, moving directly on from that point, um, the lack of stabilization uh, in the euro crisis and after um, has meant that the eurozone has been relying on exter external sources of demand um, in order to be able to grow as domestic investment and consumption was relatively weak um, and so we've seen that the current account surplus you know the, the trade balance um, and therefore the current account surplus has uh, current account has moved strongly into surplus, meaning that the Eurozone is much more export dependent than it used to be. Um, is there a way in which that makes uh, Europe more vulnerable? And the reason why I phrase that as a question is it because it reminds me slightly about uh, of the argument in the Brexit debate about German car makers. You know, Eurosceptics were saying, look, uh, Germany's got a big surplus with the UK um, and so we th we therefore hold all the cards because German car makers will tell Angela Merkel to knock heads together and put together a deal um, that will you know be a really good deal. Um, is this true for the Eurozone? How, how does this work? So the Eurozone indeed was um, balanced on its current account, its trade balance uh, up until the crisis and has since developed a, a, a sort of dependence on external demands um, and, and, and subsequently has a, has a current account surplus of close to 3% of GDP, which is, which is sizable. Um, and that means that businesses and households and, and governments in Europe are not spending um, enough and so are exporting capital to the rest of the world and hope that they are spending it on European goods and services. And of course, that creates a gap if, you know, other, if other parts of the world are doing badly um, and this affects export demand uh, for European goods and services. It's not as easy um, to shift that demand from external demand to domestic sources because the propensity to consume and invest is just not as high in Europe. In the U.S., which has a trade deficit, um, it's it's much it's much um, uh, much more likely that the U.S. is is able to compensate at least more easily for a shortfall um, in external demand. So I think having a current account surplus or being more dependent on external demand um, is a problem um, because that means actually that your stabilization policy needs to be even more aggressive and not less, as in Europe. And the second thing is, if you're a net capital exporter to the world, that means you're investing more in the world than the rest of the world is investing in you. Uh, and that means you're 
investment abroad is potentially um, at risk of partial expropriation, right? So the threats of, of, of um, you know, causing trouble for your firms abroad uh, increases the more you have invested abroad and the less the other, other parts of the world have invested in you. And so I think that a, that a persistent current account surplus plus with the capital export that this entails um, does undermine European sovereignty over the medium term. Okay, wonderful. Christian, I, I think I've been convinced that uh, you aren't just jumping on the bandwagon and that uh, stabilisation policy does really matter to uh, Europe's ability to be able to project its power internationally. Um, so well done, congratulations, uh, and everybody should read the paper when it comes out. Thank you very much, Christian. Cheers, Dylan. Thank you for listening to the CEA podcast. If you have any feedback for us or want to leave suggestions for a future episode, then you can find us on Twitter at CER underscore EU.